Hi, you guys. This is Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work podcast, episode 40. Thanks for listening to the previous 39 episodes, and um, thanks for getting us to 500 downloads per episode. That's a little milestone. We want to get a lot more folks listening to the podcast, so I really super, super appreciate you spreading the word and letting your friends know about us, Human Workplace, and the Truth About Work podcast. So, yes. Uh, Somebody asked me the other day, what is the hardest and most important part of the job of an HR leader? Because it's hard to be an HR leader. It's hard to do any job these days. It's really confusing. It's not always clear what the uh, objectives are. We have this problem in the United States that I always talk about with employment at will. So you don't always necessarily feel that you can be 100% yourself at work. It's weird how corporate America, institutional America, and of course other countries too, but we we sort of invented the genre here, has really corrupted and and, uh, perverted certain words, perfectly fine words like authenticity. I want you to be authentic can mean in a fear-based environment, just I want to know what you think and I demand that you tell me, which is obviously coercive and gross and abusive. Uh, other words that have been corrupted are, of course, self-awareness. People say, I ask job candidates what their greatest weakness is to see if they're self-aware. Oh, honey, bunny, that's so disgusting. It's You literally don't understand what self-awareness is because you're not demonstrating any, right? Any empathy, any whatever. You're using your power to try to force someone to grovel and show you their soft underbelly. So we'll have to do an episode of the podcast all about this corruption and inversion of of terms, healthy, wonderful terms from maybe the self-help, uh, you know, lexicon or whatever. It's gross, and, and I want to call that stuff out. But... Back to the original question, what's the hardest part of being an HR leader? It's telling truth to your boss. Come on. It's telling truth. The biggest, uh, you know, rock thrown at HR leaders, I've heard it a million times, I got somewhat inured to it, was, oh, you're not a business person. Okay, honey. I'm not a business person because I'm taking the needs of the people who work here into account. Cool. So in your view of the world, they, those views don't come into account and and our environment gets screwed and everybody, all the good people leave. Okay, fine, right? Like, so there's obviously a fear of having anybody say, certainly someone with a, with a leadership position or executive position or whatever, say, no, no, what the employees need is incredibly important. An individual person or a group of people or all of them or whatever, it's threatening enough that someone would feel that to counteract that argument, they have to say, oh, you're not a serious business person. Now think about the HR leader that's gonna say, oh no, I've been called not a serious business person. The number one requirement for being an HR leader is being willing to withstand that, that, um, you know, cheap shot, you know, sort of very predictable fear-based attack. Cause it's just so, it's so predictable. It's so obvious. It's going to happen every single time. I've heard every variation of that. You don't understand business. Okay. Okay. My darling, I don't understand business. Cool. And yet here's what we'll do. Here's what we are not going to do because you know, in order to do this particular thing that you want to do, then I have to not be in this job, which is certainly something that could happen, but let's get there first. And then, and then we'll talk about 
this ridiculous idea that you have of how to screw over our employees yet another creative way because you read an article about it in an in-flight magazine or whatever. But anyway, my boss used to say to me when I would coach him, whisper in his ear basically, our CEO, a great guy, great values, but, but it's hard to be a CEO too because there is a lot of dogma coming down from invisible loudspeakers all over that says, you know, tough CEOs, you know, just make the financial decision every time. Like, well, obviously that's going nowhere. We could have, we could have a great looking uh, profit and loss statement by just getting rid of all the employees tomorrow. You know, we, that would look great temporarily. So we have to always take time into the equation, right? And if you do that, then you say, I guess we better really be a great place to work because that's the only way that we're going to be able to continue to put out great products and continue to hire people and grow and continue to take care of our customers is by really taking care of our employees. It's the foundation of everything. So yeah, the hardest part of an HR leader's job is to speak your truth when it's hard to say it. And the only reason that I got good at that is that I had to do it a million times. Not because I worked with evil people, but because the dogma around us is so strong and so prevalent. And people would say, yeah, but you know, a lot of companies are getting rid of the bottom 10% of performers every year. Yeah, so right, J Jack Welsh poisoning the well, you know, teaching people that this is a way to lead. That's the opposite of leadership. It's just pure fear. Keep people afraid. So keep everybody afraid of being on that list or send the most talented people to a place where they don't have to, you know, they don't have to be subjected to that. You, you hired me. Do you trust yourself to hire people that you're not going to fire in some fear-based exercise of keeping people dancing on hot coals? It's so stupid. It's so gross and, and, and presumably so obvious. But, but we just have, have grown up with this idea that the regular rules of how to be as people and how to be in community with one another just somehow don't apply in the business world. So that's my answer, long-winded, uh, is the hardest part of being an HR leader is to tell the truth to your boss. And the hardest part of any management job is to tell the truth to your boss. And often the hardest part of any job is to actually tell the truth to your boss. But you know what? When it works, when, you, when, you, when, you, when the loop gets closed, the circuit is closed, and you see that you had influence, it's a really good feeling. And it, helps you get stronger. Use the muscles you've got, obviously. Out here in the real world, the only way to grow your muscles is to use them. Same way in the working world. Obviously, we are all very attuned to fear in the workplace, and you're not going to, I don't want you to say anything that's going to get you fired before you have another job. This is the tightrope we are walking, and at the same time, when you can use your voice for good, it, it helps you and it helps other people. So yeah, so uh, my boss used to say from time to time when I would tell him, ah, don't do that, That's, don't do that. No, nah, let's do this thing instead. He would say, I appreciate you um, counseling me on that and also just giving me permission to do the right thing, the human thing, because in the business world, there is just not that much approval for that sort of thing. There really isn't. You know, if you read the business pages of your local paper, you know, online or in print, a lot of times it says, you know, this company... Earnings improve because they laid off 400 people. Like that's the good thing to do. Forget the people. Just just get that money. Get that money to the shareholders. They're the only ones who matter. Shareholders and then, you know, the executives. And everybody else is just collateral damage. And that's the mindset that we're looking to upend and replace 
And so my boss would say, thank you. We're making tons of money in our company. Like, why am I? Yeah, because you've been brainwashed just like everybody else. Of course I'll do that. I, I will be there saying, nah, you don't want to do that. Right? But CEOs are under tremendous pressure too. Just produce the, produce the dollars. Produce those dollars, right? So I got a question moving on that says, hey Liz, you mentioned that there are bans in almost half of U.S. states preventing recruiters from asking us what our salary is or was at a past job, but it's not in all U.S. states. Why do you say this effectively saves us from having to answer this question? I was paraphrasing there. It's a long email. <laughs> but yeah, I've had that question before. Why, when the, when the law is only the law in about half, under half of U.S. states, like 19, 20 states, why would that prevent the other half of the population from having to answer the question? Because it's social permission. Remember how I was just saying that my boss would say thank you for being my like backbone stiffener and giving me room to make the human decision here, the right decision as it turned out? It's the same way. Once half of a country of 300 and whatever, 28 million people, it, it is barred, you know, it, recruiters and, and employers are barred from asking you what you're earning now or what you were earning before, then the other half is like, yeah, no, I'm not. It just gives you permission. You always had that ability to say, I'll, I'd love to know the salary range. I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to share my past salary. Obviously it's confidential. My last employer, you know, has asked me not to, and I'm, I'm not comfortable, but I'd love to know more about the job so I could give you a target on it, or I'd love to know their salary range. It's just social permission. That's what I'm giving you. For you to know that in nearly half of U.S. states, it's no longer legal, I hope gives you that little push at the small of your back that you need to tell a recruiter, yeah, no, we're not doing that, right? Anybody could do it, but now it's like obviously not cool, and there are some number of states, a little over of half U.S. states that have not gotten there, and some of them will furiously resist that because God forbid power to the people, but so what? You are your own agent out there. You are your own economic unit, and you now have a lot of reinforcement, a lot of affirmation around the idea that it's an intrusive, invasive, gross, inappropriate question. And I hope that just bucks you up the same way that I would buck up my CEO and say, no, 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 no. That's not high end. That's not a best practice of any type. And he would say, okay, cool. And I, I would love for you to say, the next time a recruiter asks you, well, what are you earning now? And you say, well, you know, I'm looking for jobs in the 72 to 75K range. Is this job in that range? Which is a great answer to the question, what are you earning now? Because the only reason they want to know what you're earning now is so that they can sort of gauge you as a, as a, as a unit. And you're going to tell them, okay, then gauge me around 75Gs. And if you don't want to mention a number because they haven't mentioned a number, you say, well, you know, I'm looking for mid to senior level, whatever, database administrator jobs. I've never been a database administrator. God knows why I go to that all the time, but you know, I'd love to know what the job pays and that would help me figure out whether it's a great a fit or not. I have to tell you something, in the recruiting world, they are not deluged with talented candidates. If, they, if, if there were millions of talented candidates around, there is no employer that would pull out the checkbook and pay a 25% fee to a recruiting firm, 25% of the new hires first year total cash comp including salary and bonus 
So they're not deluged with talented candidates. Don't be afraid that if you give the wrong answer to a recruiter, you'll be cast into obscure, you know, they'll cast you out into the darkness. It doesn't work that way. They, they are trying to place somebody. That is the only way they get paid. And you can set a boundary with them. And I hope you do. All right. Let's talk about performance reviews because I um, put a poll out, I think on Twitter. Let's check on the poll if we can find it asking what people think about performance reviews. It's on my mind because performance review season is here. And it's a little bit like, you know, they often happen at the end of the year. And it's a little bit like the um, asking for salary history in that many big companies at this point have abandoned the traditional performance review where they sit there and tell you, you did this well, you did that badly. Overall, I give you a B, I give you a B plus. It's so gross. It's so demeaning. And I feel really bad about the fact that as an HR leader, a thousand years, I never abolished performance reviews. We soften the process, I'm sure, in various ways, but it's just gross. And I was brainwashed myself by the fact that this is one of the pillars of the fear-based management system, annual performance reviews. You get a grade like a child in school. It's so absurd. If it worked, to affect performance in a positive way. They wouldn't need to do it again next year. You would do one, and that would be the one. I gave you the feedback. It's completely subjective. It's based on what your boss thinks. It's it's so nasty, it's awful. And all of the research shows that performance reviews with a grade are only affirming and reinforcing and motivating to people who get the top grade. Obviously, you get a C, it's like, okay, great, why do you even have me here? When you work with a vendor, if you don't want them there, then you tell them we're done. And if you do want them there, then you don't you don't sit there and say you did this well, you did this badly. At least I don't know any vendors that would stand for that. I say, you know what? If if an issue comes up, and issues will always come up with employees, with vendors, with partners, with consultants, you deal with the issue as as partners, as co-collaborators. And then you, you know, you going forward. Right? Can you imagine, can you imagine telling people in your family, I'm going to evaluate how you were as a, as my child, as my spouse, whatever this year, they'd be like, no, go away, jump in a lake. That's so disgusting. I don't want, I don't want that feedback. If I do something offends you, tell me. And if you want to give me reinforcement, say I'm awesome, then tell me that's it. I don't want you to sit here and look over the scope of the last 12 months has nothing to do with performance. It's all about power and control. We know that. It's a huge time suck. It, it, it kills motivation. It, it spends a tremendous amount of time and it doesn't do anything good for the organization. People say, oh, performance reviews, you know, that's good documentation in case you have to terminate somebody. No, it's not. Every single time the manager came into my office saying, I got to get rid of Becky. I would pull up Becky's file and the performance reviews would be fine. They would be better than average. Well, I was trying to motivate Becky. Okay, I actually don't blame you for trying to motivate Becky. That was the right instinct. It's good you did that, but you could see performance reviews are not the way. They don't accomplish any of the goals that people think they do. Uh, and, and it kills me when I get email. I just got one this morning. If, without performance reviews, Liz, how would I know who is doing a good job and who's not? Honey bunny. You supervise people and you don't know who's doing a good job or not without performance reviews? I can't find whatever I was looking for, so I guess we'll skip it. You can't tell 
who's doing a good job without the performance review, that's a failing in, from a manager standpoint, right? It makes no sense. You work with them. You don't know who's good or who's bad. Maybe the person who sent that email was a senior manager who says, I have to know from my managers that report to me, like who among their employees is doing a good job or a bad job. Well, that's fear, right? That's your lack of trust in your own managers. Many, many, many organizations do not do any type of performance review. They, they deal with issues in the moment and they give you a raise based on, how about this, the market salary for your position. This whole fiction, you guys, it's fiction, 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 insulting fiction. Oh, we pay by did you do a great job or a poor job? Give me a break. That might have made sense back in the day when people got 6 and 8% as an annual salary increase, but now they get 2 or 1.5%. So what difference does it make between the best performer and the worst, so-called, based on 8 million subjective data points, right? It's idiotic. Oh, I got 2%, so I'm kicking ass. Really, I only got 1.6. Oh, like, you know what that's going to be in your paycheck when you actually get paid? 47 cents. Shake off the brainwashing, you guys. That's why we're here. Shake off the brainwashing. It is brainwashing. And it is everywhere. And we are fighting against it stepping out of it, shaking it out of our veins. You do not need that affirmation worth 47 cents. Look beyond your own organization. Gauge your success according to your goals, not anybody else's goals. Your boss is only as important as you allow them to be. I'm not bashing your boss. They might be the greatest person ever born, but they don't control your life. And you can't rely on them liking you or feeling good about you or being your mentor. Why would you? The world is huge. There are so many awesome people in it. Awesome things to explore. Do not fall victim to the brainwashing. However, let's say your performance review is coming up. This little diatribe has not been helpful because you still have to get through the performance review. So what are my tips for that? Well, pull out your calendar. Look at what you've been working on for the last 12 months. Write it down your accomplishments, get it on paper. Do a little end of the year pre-performance review report for your manager and send it to them in advance. Hey Janice, just wanted to give you this recap of my year in review uh, as you get ready to write my performance review. And if you have a, a, a need, a requirement, a desire for a salary bump beyond what they normally do, one and a half, two and a half percent, tell your manager because they're going to have to lobby for that upstairs, as it were, with their boss. So you want to let them know. You could do that by email, but it's even better to do it in a one-on-one -on -one session. You say, hey, look, I know my performance review is not until January, but I wanted to let you know now. I'm going to send you sort of a roadmap of my thoughts and what I plan to accomplish, and it's significant. It's big stuff, and I'm looking for you know, a bigger increase. I'm actually looking to reach whatever, 60K. And compensation. So, you know, I'd love to know your thoughts. If you think it, that's a fight worth fighting, if it's not, you know, let's just let's just get into that and figure it out. Because it, it, the least that you do deserve from your boss is, do they support that effort or not? Whether they decide to expend the political capital on you is a separate question. But they they agree that you're worth 60k. Because if they agree and then they don't want to fight for you, it's absolutely fine. And it means you should go get the 60K someplace else. I. Okay. 
Hi Liz, I had two good interviews for a job. I told the hiring manager my salary requirement and they did not respond. I have not heard a salary range. The HR director asked me what I need to earn and I told her and she said, okay, we'll take that under advisement. I don't know whether she's okay with my number or not. Mm. Yeah, that's a bad recruiting process. We'll take that under advisement. No, they have to tell you. Then and there, if she asked you, what do you need to earn and you said, 50 grand, she needs to say, yeah, that's well within our range, or that's actually a little more than we're, she has to tell you, because this kind of um, information flows in only one direction process, which is sadly not uncommon, suggests that you may get an offer, and it might be, if you wanted 50,000, it might be 43, but they didn't acknowledge that there was a gap. Hey, maybe take it under advisement, you get an offer, and it's 50 grand, and, and you're happy, but that's a red flag right there. When the HR director asks you for a number and you give them a number. Now, in the future, you'll say, does that work with your salary structure? You'll just have a smile on your face and in your voice and say, does that work? But, but she should have told you. That's not cool. She should have told you because otherwise, you know, you're out here getting over your skis, as they say. You're out here on a limb. Like, are you guys willing to pay this or are you just going to lead me through this entire arduous interviewing process and then make me a lowball offer assuming I'll take it only because I've invested all the time in the interview process. I have got to focus on teaching HR folks how to do this stuff. I know that is true. That's my goal in 2021. All right. I'm just going to go look right now at something I wrote that I wanted to read to you guys about job ads. Job ads are ads. They actually have ad right in their name. It's a job ad. So if you think about an ad, you know, you could have an ad for a car, an ad for a Burger King Whopper special. Does Burger King even have the Whopper? I'm so confused. Who has what? Yeah, McDonald's has a Big Mac. Burger King has the Whopper. But, you know, an ad is what you are doing is trying to get somebody to do something that you want them to do. That's what, that's what an ad is. It's not a notice tacked up to the phone pole at the end of the alley that says we're going to be spraying this area for varmints, for rats. That's like, you know, I, we, we are duty bound to let you know. The city needs to let you know. There's too many rats around here. So we got our guys coming out with trucks and, uh, you know, probably keep your dogs and kitties away from, from the, where they're spraying. And that's like a notice, you know, we want it to be as friendly and as comprehensible as possible, but you're not trying to get anybody to do anything and trying to like sort of make friends and create relationships. An ad is you're trying to make friends and create relationships and build goodwill and, and, and elicit a type of behavior. In the case of a car ad, you want them to buy the car, or at least come do a test drive. A test drive. In the case of, a, of the Burger King, with the Whopper, you want them to come in and buy the Whopper special. And in the case of a job ad, you're looking for a certain number of these readers to apply. So we have to really rethink the way we write job ads because job ads tend to be terse, bureaucratic, governmental. They push candidates away with the language. I can't get online. That's why I can't read you what I wrote, but that's okay. I remember it. It talks about how job ads that don't give you any good reason to apply, but only list the qualities that you have to have, the qualifications that they want to see, are very off-putting. 
No, who gets excited about that? Oh, I guess I qualify, but for what? What is this job? Who would want to work there? They're using generic boilerplate language. I don't see anything exciting about this job. They don't even respect me, the prospective candidate who gets to choose where to send my resume. They don't even respect me enough to tell me why I might want this job. It's just assumed we're a leader in our industry. Everybody says that. I'm a leader in my industry too, okay? I'm a leader too as a job candidate. Don't, don't pull that high horse stuff with me. It's a leveling of the power, you guys. That's what we're after. A job ad is a communication uh, uh, from the company to the talent population about why they might want to choose this company. Colleges do it. They still have admissions. They don't accept everybody, but they still recruit like crazy. And they try to talk up what's good about their school and why you might want to go there. They're not too proud to do that, but a lot of employers are indeed too proud. They will not tell you, why is this something I should consider? They feel like if you don't see it already, then you know, it's, you're not the right type of person. Okay, so really then what you're hiring for is desperation, fear, groveliness. Your brand name speaks volumes. No, brand name doesn't speak volumes. I gotta tell you something. All the biggest companies, I won't name them because they're so obvious, especially now, we have this power law distribution where the biggest companies are so much bigger than the vast majority of other companies. You know their names. They, I, I help people get out of all of them. Get out with their lives. Like, I hate this place. N nothing is perfect, right? No organization is perfect. It has to do with the timing and, the, of course, the boss that you work for and what's happening in the business and what's happening in your part of the business and what's happening with you and a hundred other factors. I'm not... I'm not castigating these guys. I'm just saying no company just by virtue of being big and a, and a household name is like Nirvana or an amazing place to work for everybody. And they all should be selling you throughout the hiring process. But with the job ads, the big mistakes are don't give any reason why the person should take the job. You don't answer basic logistical questions like what are the hours? Is this work from home? Is it work from home just now or even after COVID is you know, less of a threat. Like, what is the story with working from home? That's huge. That is huge for my life. I, I think I should know that right off the bat. It's incredibly rude not to put it out there. They don't list the salary. I have no idea whether this is a job that pays $50,000 a year or 250000 or some other amount. We have to put the salary range in the job ad. Can't say in line with local state. What does that even mean? I need to know. There are jobs with identical titles like marketing manager or project manager that could literally pay $100,000, $200,000 different. Okay, we want to know, is it a brand new job that you've just created? Or is it a job someone was in? And if so, what happened to that person? At least tell us, is it a new role? That's very important. It's just a different scope of work, a new role, than one that has already been established in the you're going to put your own stamp on any job, obviously, but a role that's been established, you know, is a very different thing walking into. And, and pluses and minuses, right? There are expectations that might be different from the way that you're going to perform the role. So that's good information to have. You need to know whether there's travel. You have to know what their expectations are around a working day. Why we don't talk about this when so many folks are doing knowledge worker jobs. If you were hourly, you'd get overtime. If there were overtime, you'd get paid time and a half. As a salaried employee, you don't get a dime, so you need to know what's a, what constitutes a workday here. It doesn't matter whether I'm at home 
or whether I'm in the in the facility, what constitutes a workday? Because I gotta know. This is a place where people are starting to say, you know what, enough. I have to know, and I have to tell you, the person who's considering hiring me, I'll work. You know, three nine-hour days basically, and a couple of eight-hour days in the week, and and that's it. That's that's what you're gonna get. You're hiring my brain, so I can't give you my whole brain and heart and enthusiasm around this project and then also be held to this standard of you know but you're going to have to work as many hours you know as you are awake which unfortunately is still the case in a lot of places we're all finding our voices we're all finding our voices together you guys i'll see you next time have a great great day